Uh, I guess uh, almost good afternoon now, but uh, uh, let's just uh, let's just go into our message because uh, we don't have much time. Uh, is everyone in Second Samuel chapter 23? I'll make very brief, com- a very just one very brief comment about chapter 22, which I, was also allotted to me. But uh, to cover everything, you know, we don't have time to go into it. And uh, well, I just found out that you guys are going to be going through the Messianic Psalms. Second Samuel chapter 22 it is a Messianic Psalm and is actually the exact same Psalm as Psalm 18. So if you're going to cover Psalm 18, you will cover Second Samuel chapter 22, which is a Messianic Psalm. I was going to say some comments on it. There, there's just not there's just not enough time. So we'll go get into Second uh, Samuel chapter 23 and uh, uh and the will of the Lord, uh, this will be covered uh, with the Messianic Psalms. So um, let's just read a couple of verses in Second Samuel chapter 23. It says in verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James, it says, Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, uh, the anointed one of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his words was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. Now skip down to verse five. We're only going to read the first line of verse five. It says, although my house is not so with God. Let's just say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the preciousness of it. We pray that you speak to us this morning, O oh Lord, and that, uh, and that you would show us your glory, even in this uh, passage, O oh Lord, and show us the Lord Jesus Christ as we study this passage. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I only read a couple of verses, and actually, this is actually the last psalm that David ever wrote, the last words that he ever wrote. And we think, you know, these are the last words of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And, uh, and uh, you can think, think about all the wonderful things he wrote. These are the very last ones. And I guess, uh, and I don't know if he knew it before when he was writing his other psalms, but here he actually says, the Spirit of God spoke to me. He knew he was being inspired. He knew that this was the very Word of God that he was writing. And this is also, I believe, a Messianic psalm. Okay, so we're going to talk about that from that aspect. But these last words are also speak to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And David knew as he was writing that God was talking to him, that the spirit of the Lord was giving him these words. And and the first thing it says, you know, he he who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And uh, David could go and realize that he hadn't been just even as hard as he tried and he tried to be. And he was a man after God's own heart. And he was uh, and he tried to be as just as he could. But he said, my house has not been like that. And in fact, if you read the very last verse of this chapter, which I don't think we're going to get to, it talks about a man called Uriah the Hittite and the tremendous injustice that David did to him. So he knew he wasn't that man. He knew he couldn't rule over men, uh, you know, in the full just to, to be full, uh, have the full justice of God as he ruled over God's people. He knew that, well, that was not him. 
But as he was writing, he said, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me and he said, the one who rules must be just. And as I was considering this passage, I was considering, I was considering, has there anybody in history who has ruled and been, has been truly just, has been truly, has been truly uh, ruled in the fear of God? And if we really think about our history, we actually think about people who have not been just, people who have been cruel, unjust. And, uh, and as I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about, you know, just human history, it almost brings, you know, it was bringing tears to my eyes. I was privately thinking about this, and I was like almost to the point of weeping. When we think about all the tremendous injustices that people who have ruled over men have done, we think about, you know, we think about Adolf Hitler, we think about uh, the Holocaust, and the, the tremendous injustices and murders that happened there, right? We think about, you know, people who have ruled them been extremely unjust, like Joseph Stalin, the pogroms in, in, uh, in Ukraine. And, uh, and we think about, you know, Paul, uh, Pol Pot, who, had, who wanted everyone to become agrarian, and everyone who was intellectual, he decided to go and kill. And we could think about even those who uh, perhaps were even Christian, right? We think about, you know, the, uh, you know, people who claim the name of Christ and we think about the tremendous, terrible things that happened during the Crusades. And uh, we think even how the reformers who were wonderful men and did tremendous things. But some of them, you know, John Calvin and those, those under him uh, in Geneva, when they got power, they wanted to create a Christian state and ended up killing other Christians. And uh, they were not just. And they were, you could, say, you could say, unjust, right? And we could think about our day. Think about our day, and we, you know, we will, you know, watch news and we worry about, you know, look at ISIS and, you know, how they're killing. They're killing Christians just for their faith, just because they want power and they want to establish their own state. And they're just, you know, killing unjustly and, you know, beheading, beheading our own very brothers and sisters, right? And uh, I just read recently you know, on, on an article passed to me on Facebook that, uh, you know, the, supposedly the good guys in Afghanistan who are fighting the Taliban, some of the generals there have, uh, who have power, you know, some of them are pedophiles. And they have, I guess, you know, 10, 11-year-old boys whom they abuse, and it's a common practice among them. And as the, as the American soldier pro- protested these things, they were dishonorably discharged because they were told to turn a blind eye. When we think about the injustices of this world, when we think about all the abortions, and even in this country, all the, all the children being abused, and we say, Lord, is there anybody? Is there anybody who could come and, and uh, bring justice to this world? Is there anybody that could come and, you know, put down evil? Right? And, and when we think about all the sickening things that have happened all throughout history, you know, it's, it, it almost brings tears to your eyes. And... Uh, and uh, we, we see in the very book of Revelation, as John would write, he asked the same question, right? And a question was asked by a mighty angel. He says, is there anybody worthy to come and bring justice to the world? Is there anybody worthy to come and take the scroll and open the seals and open this book and bring justice upon this earth? Is there anybody? And it says no one was found in heaven or on earth or under the earth. There was nobody. Right? And what did John do? We consider all the terrible things in this earth. He started weeping. He said he wept much because there was nobody found. 
And we think about that, it, it almost makes us, does anybody come and put down evil? Well, as uh, a lot of you know the story very well, right? One of the elders told them, uh, the lion, which we spoke about this morning, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has prevailed, right, to open the book, break its seals, to come and bring justice to this, to this world. The lion of the tribe of Judah has done it. Right? David said, you know, I couldn't do it. But there is someone who is coming who finally will pull, put down evil. Someone is coming who will finally come and uh, bring, do all the injustices, make him right. And for this, I think this is a messianic psalm. This is, uh, although it's in Second Samuel and we don't think about it as a psalm, it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he who rules uh, over men must be just. And uh, as I consider these things, as I consider these things, uh, you know, and this was also brought out this morning in the Lord's Supper, right? If uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to come, put down evil, sure, it's great if he judges Hitler, if he judges uh, Joseph Stalin, if he judges ISIS, that's great. But uh, what about me? What about you? All the, all the sin that we have committed. All the injustice that we have done. All the people whom we have hurt. Sure, we could easily point fingers. Oh, I'm not a bad, as bad as that guy. Or as bad as, as uh, that other person over there. Right? And, uh, and this part, I would like to say, you know, this, this, this part of the message, I want to say, this is for our friends here who, who don't know the Savior. Because uh, if God is going to come, there's someone who's going to come and triumph. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is going to come and bring justice. He could easily come and judge me and judge you for our sins. Perhaps they haven't been as bad as some of these, uh, some of these whom we talked about. But he could easily judge us. But it says in Revelation, when John looked for the Lion of the tribe of Judah... And the, the brethren here know very well what comes next. He looked and he saw a lamb as it had been freshly slain. A lamb as it had been freshly slain. And uh, this lamb was standing and he was worthy to take the book. Right? And when he did, he did, everyone fell down to the floor, started worshiping and said, Worthy are you, O Lord, for you were slain. For you were killed. Right? And that's how, that's how the, the, the message goes, right? Because if you, if you and me were to stand before God in our own merit, in our own works, and God was to judge us and be fully just, we would go and uh, we would take the place where our own very sins would take us. And, uh, and uh, that's, what, uh, that's what it says, uh, which we didn't read, which we didn't read uh, in, chapter, in verse 6 and verse 7 of this book. It talks about the son's, of rebellion, right? But, uh, but uh, what I want to emphasize is that the Lord Jesus Christ was slain, as we mentioned this morning. And you know why he was slain? To fulfill the justice of God for you, for me. He was killed to fulfill the justice of God. So he, we could actually stand justly before God and God could accept us. And that's the message of Christianity. That's the message that... that uh, that uh, he came to preach. He did a great work that he came to do. He came to be, uh, to be slain for you and for me.
right? And verse 5, let's go to verse 5. It says, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, order in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and my desire. I think David here is thinking about the covenant that he made with him. But uh, we could think about the covenant he made with us. We think about what we remembered him this morning, how he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took his, he said, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. So he made a covenant also with us. And David says, this is my salvation. We could say, this is my salvation too. He made a covenant with us. He went and paid the, paid the price. He came, he came and uh, paid for our sins on his own and carried them on his own body. On the tree. And, uh, and here we see our salvation also. See how, uh, how David calls our, our salvation our, and his salvation and his desire? We could say the same thing. Now, verse 6 and 7, I said, talks about the sons of rebellion. It says, The sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, as they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Now, now this message is for, you know, in this group here, perhaps there's some that don't know the Lord. And uh, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have God's salvation, as uh, something is offered to you, you know, God says here that, you know, the sons of rebellion. Rebellion implies something that you hear the word of God. You are offered salvation and you resist it. You say, no, I don't want it. I have, I'd rather have my own way. I'd rather have my own, uh, I'd rather go my own path. Do what's right in my own eyes. Right? And uh, that, that's what the Bible calls rebellion. And here it's very, it's very graphic. The rebellion makes you thorny. Makes you, uh, you know, something that you can't get near, right? And God says that God would would love to to reach out His hands and hold you, but if you keep saying I can't, I can't, God can hold on and reach you and save you. If you keep uh, rebelling, if you keep saying no, no, no to the Word of God, right? And uh, it says here the sons of rebellion will it says they will be uh, verse seven. It says they will be burned with fire. In their place. And uh, the hard part, the difficult part, but the very true part about the gospel is that, is that if you will not have the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will not take his salvation, if you will not take the Lamb of God which was slain for you, if you will not, the Bible says that you will take your place. You will take, go to the place where your life's work, your sins, your, your works will take you. And uh, when we think about, and I was thinking about this, there's a man who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Judas Iscariot. The Bible says when he died, it doesn't say, doesn't say he went to hell. You know, it doesn't say he went to fire. It says he went to his own place. And then when we think about the end of the revelation, it says that, John sees there the small and the great, everyone standing before the great white throne. And they were judged according to their works, right? And it says they took their place in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever, right? Your own, your own life's work. If you want to stand in your own merit, if you'd rather have your own way, right? The Bible says there is a place for you. 
and the, 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 the pay or I guess the, the level where you go, the place where you go is kind of where you want to go. Where your rebellion will take you. And you took your own place. And, says, and you will take your own place in the, in the lake of fire. But, uh, but I was thinking there is some wonderful news in the message of the gospel, right? Because if you will, if you would take the Lord Jesus Christ, if you would take his salvation, if you would not be rebellious, but rather you could say repent, which is just, uh, you know, repent implies like, you know, this horrible, horrible sorrowing penance. It's not, it's not a good word. It's more of a change of mind, a change of opinion to say, Lord, I take you, save me. Right. And if you would do that, right. The Bible says the, the Bible says at that point, you will not stand on your own merit, but you will stand on his merit. And you, and you think about the wonderful words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, if I go, I will come again, right? And uh, he said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. We think about that. Think about salvation he brings, Right? He goes and he wants to prepare a place for us. He wants to make heaven our home. He wants to make a dwelling place for us where we feel right at home. And that's what, that's what he's doing now. If you go and you accept him this very morning, you accept him now this afternoon, God, God will make a place for you and you will, you will go to heaven. That's where your place would be. So, uh, so this is a gospel message. And this is the, the message of salvation. Let's go back up to uh, verse four, Second Samuel chapter twenty-two, verse four, and this is where I think believe, I believe is the messianic psalm. It says, "And he shall be uh, the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain." So he who rules. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes and takes the scroll and puts down evil and judges this world that makes all the wrongs right. right? When the Lord comes and establishes his kingdom, says there shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. When we think about this world, we think about darkness. We think about this very vivid picture, right? We think about night, darkness. Right, but we, we think about sunrise, we see how the darkness flees away. The darkness is gone. When the Lord comes, that's what will happen. All the darkness, all the all that will flee away, it will be gone, it'll be finally removed, and there'll be a, a day without clouds, there'll be no shadows. There'll be a wonderful day, right? As the sun rises, as the, the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. And it says there'll be a day without clouds. It'll just be like after the rain. Not only is this dark, dark place. This world is kind of like pictured by night of darkness. But there's also tremendous storm that's going on. It's this, you know, this rain, this, all this uh, trouble in this earth. It's pictured by a storm. But one day the storm is going to end. The sun will come out. And there will be a day without clouds. And we think about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to this earth. Right? He goes, if I go, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. We look for that day, a day without clouds, a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will finally come back. Now, now, um, 
We're getting to the second part of the message. And, uh, and, uh, we're running out of time quickly, so I don't know how much I'm like, I'm gonna be able to cover. But I do want to, to say this. Now, the rest of the message is for the Christians here. For those who claim the Lord Jesus Christ and know that they're saved. Uh, I want to, I want to emphasize that we don't, that day still future, a day without clouds. The day when the Lord Jesus Christ will finally come and make every injustice right. That day is still future. We are in the middle of a battle. We're in the middle of a fight, right? Our brother who was, who, who was at, at Hooters uh, earlier this week, you know, that's a battleground. That's a battleground. And, uh, and we see all these, uh, all these uh, men here, these heroes, essentially heroes that were called David's mighty men and how they fought and how they were valiant for the, for the battles that they won, right? And uh, I want to, I, I don't have time to emphasize this, but uh, we are in the middle of a battle and the battle is not physical. It's not fleshly. We are not, we are not, and we were uh, forbidden by the Lord Jesus to take up actual arms and fight. And I can't, I cannot, I don't have time to emphasize that, but, uh, but, but I do want to say we're in the middle of a battle and it's a spiritual battle. Right. For uh, Ephesians six, it says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers and uh, and mights and uh, and dominions. Right. We're in the middle of a battle. And we think about we think about Second Corinthians chapter 10. It says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't battle with actual, you know, physical weapons. Right. But they are mighty for the bringing down of strongholds. So there is a spiritual battle. And if you as a Christian the Bible calls us to, to fight, to fight spiritually. Now, this is very, very practical. This is not some, you know, mystical thing up there that, uh, that uh, you know, we think about spiritual warfare and things like that. This comes down to our very day life. And I want to emphasize this because, you know, when we think about, you know, um, the battle, when we think about spiritual uh, authorities and dominions, right? When we think about the devil himself, that we have to fight him. We almost feel like sometimes like grasshoppers, right? Grasshoppers next to the, the spiritual fight we're at. And we could easily say, I don't want to fight. I don't want to you know, fight the good fight that Paul wanted to fight. I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, essentially uh, try to, you know, follow the word of God and, uh, and, you know, go in this Christian life and uh, the struggles that it brings. Why don't I, can't I just take it easy until the Lord takes us to heaven? And uh, I want to say that the Lord never forced anybody to do anything. I truly believe in free will. And uh, and when we think about when we think about the spiritual warfare, I was thinking about the children of Israel. There was a generation that could that could have uh, been the heroes of Israel. They could have been the ones who came and possessed the land. Right. They could have been the ones who would come and conquer. Right. And conquer the promised land and conquer their inheritance. But they didn't. Right. They they saw the enemy. And they said, we can't do it, right? And, uh, and they ended up wandering for 38 years till that whole generation passed away. And if you're a Christian, and if you want to 
realize that, you know, maybe it's too hard. It's too hard to fight the Lord's battles. Well, you know, you could be you could also be disqualified. You think of Paul, how he would say, you know, I train my body and then I I don't want to just blow, take blows at the air because I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be set aside. I don't want to be put on the shelf. Right. And that's Paul's desire. He wanted to fight the good fight. Right. He didn't want to just meander and, and wander, wander around. And, uh, and we see that, 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 that I was quoting to you the last verse of First Corinthians chapter 9. And we see how chapter 10 actually ta- tells us about all those wilderness wanderings. Right. And uh, perhaps perhaps you you as a Christian here. Uh, could say maybe I don't want to fight. I just want to want, you know. I just want to wander, right? And uh, you will not, you know. The Lord doesn't force anybody to fight. But I want to say that, you know, it's a it's a sad life to to be, right? To just wander, to just wander aimlessly, and uh, and not and not fight. But you have that choice, and uh, and we see how Paul did not want to be disqualified. He wanted to fight the Lord's battles. Let me see where I'm at on my notes because th- we're running out of time very, very quickly. Um, anyways, I want to emphasize this fight. And uh, for those, for those who, who, uh, who want to fight the Lord's battles, who don't want to wander, who don't want to actually want to go and possess what the Lord has given you, what the Lord has uh, has called you to do. I was thinking about I was thinking about this and this I also want to emphasize and I know we're running out of time very quick. But if you're going to go and you are going to take part of the spiritual warfare, if you are going to uh, fight, you know, fight for the Lord, if you are going to take part of what the Lord called you to be, I think uh, these were called David's mighty men. And, uh, and uh, the reason why is because David was their captain, right? David was their captain. And David is a prototype of the Lord Jesus Christ. David, uh, when we look at David, we sometimes it really, we could really see the Lord Jesus Christ there how he pictures for us they were called david's mighty men and that's how they would be loyal to their captain they'd be loyal to the lord they would go out and fight and be heroes for him and uh and uh, and uh if you want to follow the lord and fight this battle you i think you have to come to the realization who is your captain who is your lord because good jesus the lord jesus christ because uh, and uh, and I think and I want to say a, a personal story because this is I guess what happened to me a couple of years ago because I felt I felt that uh, you know I was just kind of meandering through life also when I just talk about wandering it's I know I'd done it as a Christian but the Lord the Lord showed me said who are you loyal to who is your Lord and I don't want to go through all the details because we don't have time. But uh, but a very vivid picture for me was uh, was in chapter five of Joshua, and most of you know the story how Joshua was about to go and embark on this battle, embark on this conquest, and he was ready. He had just crossed the Jordan. He had all the armies with him, 
right? And the very eve of battle, he was going to go attack Jericho. Who did he see? He saw a man. And a man had a drawn sword. And, and Joshua asked him, he said, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or against us? Now, sometimes we think that the Lord said, I'm for you, but he didn't say that, did he? The answer was no. The answer, if you read it there, was no. Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question, right? I am commander and chief of the armies of the Lord. When Joshua realized who that was, he threw himself on the ground, right on his very face. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And uh, that's what we need to realize. If we're going to live this Christian life, we're going to fight the Lord's battle and be overcomers. We have to realize who our captain is. We have to come to realization and instead of spiritual sense, throw ourselves on the ground and say, Lord, this is your battles. We're following you. You are our captain. You are the one who will lead us. You are the one who, uh, who, who will who will give us the strength to fight. You tell us what to do. And uh, this can be very practical in ministry, to have, uh, to have ministry that is you know, led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times we come up with these good ideas, we kind of just pray and say, Lord, bless me, bless me, and this stuff. But say, Lord, what would you have me to do as, uh, as we seek to live our Christian life? And uh, that's what I wanted to emphasize, this spiritual warfare, who our captain is now. I know I haven't gone into uh, any, any of these uh, heroes, uh, heroes, but uh, I wanted to emphasize this, to come to realization, who our captain is, because these were David's mighty men. And if we're going to do anything mighty for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to realize who he is. Now, I'm going to say just brief comments on these, David, uh, and these mighty men. Uh, because I see our time is essentially gone. Uh, I just, we'll just read, uh, uh, we'll just make some brief comments in verse 8. It says, These are the names of the mighty men of David, uh, Joseph, Beth, Shebesh, the Tachmanite, chief among captains. He was called Adino the Ezanite because he had killed 800 men at one time. In verse 8, it says, He was called Adino. And uh, I'll just very briefly say this that word, the word there, the word there, you know, there's a lot of hard words, but he, he, got, he was called a nickname. His name was Adino, and Adino means spear, right? And uh, he actually went and, uh, you know, raised up his spear and killed 800 men with his spear, and he was known by what he did. He was known by the battle he won. He was uh, given a nickname, right? And I want to spiritualize the say, the say that you also, I also, if you're a Christian today, you have a nickname, right? The nickname is... Listen to the nickname. Christian, Christian, Christ-like ones. Christ-like ones, right? And we see that uh, in the book of Acts, how the first, the first Christian, they were called Christians in Antioch because they were actually Christ-like. And if we're going to you know, defeat the enemy, we need to live up to our own nickname of Christ-likeness. Um, anyways, we'll briefly, I wish I could say more about these things, but verse 9, it says, After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahite, one of three mighty men of David. He defeated the Philistines, were gathered together in battle, um, and, and the men of Israel were retreated. And he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned only to plunder. Uh, here, here, 
the, I think the spiritual lesson, and again, we're going very, very quickly on this, is that this man won a battle, right? Everyone else retreated, but he, he actually went and fought with his sword. And he said that his hand became weary and stuck to that sword. And uh, it kind of made, the sword ended up just being an extension of his arm. Now, I'm going to spiritualize this a little bit because uh, when we think about the whole armor of God, we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? And uh, I think it'd be good to that the word of God just becomes an extension of our arm if we're going to fight the Lord's battles. You know, that this would just become an extension of our arm. And I want to fully confess as I'm preaching this because I have to be careful that, I, you know, I don't feel I have done that very well. And I, and I would just give a, a quick commercial for our brother Randy. He's coming in two weeks. If you, when you're here listening to him, you'll try to find out where Randy's words end and the word of God begins. Because that man just constantly just quoting the word of God. And, and, uh, and uh, well, that was a plug-in for Randy. But, uh, but uh, you know, we, we should look at him as an example, right? And make this book just a very extension of your arm. Right. Where where who knows where, you know, like like Randy, you know, where does his word end? the word of God begins. Right. And we're going to fight the Lord's battles. All right. Let, let's just uh, look at um, uh, uh, let's look at uh, a couple a couple of more. If we give me if you give me uh, uh, 10 more minutes and we'll stop. OK. All right. After him was Shammah, the son of Aggie, the Herite. The Philistines gathered together in a troop. So there are peace. Uh, of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed, uh, he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Here, here, this man was defending a piece of ground full of lentils. Everyone else retreated, but he didn't retreat, and he bought, won a great victory. Now, now, when we think about it, this, was his inheritance, right? We think about an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance, spiritual inheritance, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, you know, told us to not set our treasure on things on earth, but things in heaven, right? That's where, where's where your treasure is. There, your heart will be also. The Apostle Paul says uh, to seek those things which are above, not things of the earth. So we think about our heavenly inheritance, which uh, I believe our brother prayed for this morning. Our, our, our heavenly inheritance. And we think about to fight for that, to fight for, for more of it when we, get, when we get to glory, right? And when we think about that, our heavenly hope, it makes us fight harder and uh, fight and even win a great victory. Uh, I wish I could say more about that, but let's go. I do want to emphasize uh, verses 13, 14, and 15, and uh, 16 and 17, but I'm not going to read them because we don't have time. <laughs> Some of you, uh, I, I, I'm not going to read it. I'm, uh, we don't have time. I'll just tell you quickly the story. I think it was these three men whom we just talked about. They were very close to the king. And they heard him just whisper, Oh, that somebody will bring me some water from the gate of Bethlehem. Oh, that would someone bring me some water from, from uh, the pool that's by Bethlehem. Right? And... uh and uh, they heard his request. They just kind of heard him wishing for these things. And guess what happened? These men went and fought the Philistines and broke through because the Philistines captured Bethlehem and went and brought him some water. Right? They brought him some water. 
And David, and David, when he saw what this man did, he was not drinking. He said, you know, this devotion, and I think he did the right thing, this devotion only belongs to the Lord. And he says he poured out the water to the Lord. But I want to emphasize this. If we're going to have uh, great victories for the Lord, the way to do it is how close are you to the Lord? How close are you to his heart? How close are you to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because these men only heard him whisper just something he longed for. He didn't even command them to do anything. He didn't tell them, go get me some water. He didn't say that at all. They just heard his desires. And uh, these were three very mighty men because they were close enough to, to their captain where they heard his desires. question is, are we close enough to hear just the desires of the Lord? And I know wonderful men and women of God who, who have heard, you see, why, you know, sometimes you wonder, why do they do this? Why do they go halfway across the world to dangerous places to preach the, the gospel? They don't have to do that, right? They don't have to, they don't have to do that. They could have just lived for the Lord, you know, at and, and home or whatever. But they heard the longings of the Lord. Their longings to go in and uh, serve Him. And they go to very, very dangerous places. Right? And, uh, and uh, if you're a Christian, to, I cannot emphasize this enough. To win a battle for the Lord is to... Uh, uh, the key is how close are you to the Lord and listen to the longings of His heart. Right? I was thinking about... We just went through, in our assembly, through the study on the seven churches of Revelation. And uh, there we see, we see, and in the Christian life, sometimes you have to have this balance, right? You could either perhaps be too, too strict, too legalistic, right? Or you could be too loose, too liberal, Right. And we see that in the churches. Right. We see how the church of Ephesus. Right. They were they were very strict in the word of God. The Lord commends them for their devotion to the word of God, to not deny his name and the the church of Ephesus. But then he says, you know what? You're not being very loving. You forgot your first love. Right. And then we see in the church of Thyatira how the Lord actually commends them for their love. But they allowed, you know, tremendous sin in there. Right. And when we think about that, it's good to be. Perhaps in one sense, pray that the Lord will lead us, the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we would be balanced, right? And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, me and my brother were talking about this, uh, you know, uh, 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 two nights ago. You know, we have even dealing with sin in assemblies. It's very hard. It's very hard to, where, you know, we need to help the Holy Spirit to be balanced. But there was one church who was perfectly balanced, right? They were rich. They needed nothing. And guess what? They were... They were perfectly lukewarm. They were not too hot, not too cold, right? They were just lukewarm, right? You could say, well, they're doing pretty good. They're balanced. There is one thing. I want to emphasize there's one thing that we are not to be balanced at all, right? The Lord tells that church, the church that nauseated him, he said, be zealous and repent. There the word zealous is heat, hot. Be zealous and repent. There's one thing we're not to be balanced at is our love, devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are going to be overcomers, if we're going to fight the Lord's battles, we need to uh, have an absolute devotion. There is no balance there. OK, 
okay? We need to have an absolute, uh, essentially, devotion, love for our Savior. And the more we walk this earth, the more if we could just grow closer every day to him. That's how we would win our battles. And, you know, love made these men, you know, fight just to get a little bit of water. If we have devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ, then we could go and fight our battles. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish at 12:30, and and I apologize. I, um, I know, uh, I know, uh, uh, you know, we're we're over time, but we did start late. I just want to mention that uh, after after that, uh, a man named Abishai was uh, was the the hero there, and it says he was the bro- brother of Joab. And uh, and just right there, Joab is mentioned in this chapter a couple of times, but he was not one of David's mighty men. And Abishai was. And I want to emphasize there that there's many people who perhaps are around Christianity, around the name of Christ, but they're never, they're fake, they're fake. Uh, Joab was an evil man. And there are perhaps people who are around Christianity who are not Christians. But his brother, you know, he came from the same womb. Abishai was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful warrior, right? And, uh, and I want to say that, you know, just because you come to church or just because you sing the songs, that doesn't make you a Christian. That does not make you that, does not make you that uh, uh, Christ is your captain. That, you know, that, the, Joab being mentioned here does not make him one of uh, David's mighty men. But his brother, who came from, his own womb, from the same very womb, was, also, was one of David's mighty men. And, that, and after that, it was uh, Benaiah was mentioned. And I want to emphasize, just, just mention them here. Unfortunately, we can't read uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3. But, uh, but uh, uh, Benaiah was mentioned, and it said he, he killed two, lion, uh, two, two lion, uh, lion-like heroes from Moab. He also killed uh, a lion in a pit, and he also killed an Egyptian. And uh, here, the, I think the spiritual lesson is Moab usually represent the flesh. I don't have time to go into why it does, but it does. So he, he killed, uh, he killed uh, two heroes from Moab. And then he killed a lion in a pit. When we think about the roaring lion of uh, Satan, right? And then he said he killed an Egyptian. And I don't, again, I don't have time to go why, but Egypt usually represents the world. So here we have three enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And, uh, well, I really would love to say much more comments about that. Uh, but uh, we are simply don't have time. I'm just going to end the message here. I'm going to just read a couple of words. Because, um, because uh, these things, these, uh, this, uh, these battles, these things that I have mentioned this morning are are here in the New Testament. So I'm going to just leave you with uh, Paul's words. I'm just reading in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10. You could just listen or you, could, or you don't have to turn there. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but here Paul says, 
be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I want to emphasize that as these men were David's mighty men, our victory, our fight is to be strong in the Lord and in his power, the power of his might. And then we really find out our, the weapons, which are warfare, are not carnal, but they're actually mighty to the bringing down of strongholds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, sometimes we think, why didn't, why didn't you just save us and take us straight to heaven? But, oh, Lord, uh, you left us down here. And you asked us to fight your battles. We see how, how uh, when Israel fought Amalek, you said, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we see how you would ask us to fight. It says that the, the, the spirit who fights against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit is you. This is your battles. You asked us to fight. Lord, uh, we think how Paul would, uh, uh, his worst nightmare would be to be disqualified, to be set aside, to not be deemed worthy to fight the good fight. And oh Lord, I know, uh, I know many here that that's not their desire. Their desire is to fight your battles. We pray, oh Lord, that, uh, you give us strength, that we find our strength in you as we seek to go out. Because it's easy to speak about these things here in this room. But, oh, tomorrow, when we go to work, when we're in the middle of uh, those who don't know you, and the conversations start and the difficulties start, and, uh, oh, Lord, that we would uh, remember your words, that we remember our love and devotion for you. And we thank you for the Lord's devotion for us. And, oh, Lord, uh, that you will help us there and we be strong in your might there, O Lord. We pray for this assembly and uh, as they seek to be a lampstand for you. Um, and we think of the elders also uh, as they seek to serve you, Lord. It's, it's a battle, but uh, you, we could gain, gain great victories. And we thank you for the promise of being an overcomer, uh, as it says in First John. We pray these things in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.